You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for his glory. Thank you very much. And thank you again to the band. Didn't they do a great job today? Led us beautifully. And Cora, on that last song, in a good way, you ruined me. (laughs) And now I've got to preach on the back of that, so yeah. (laughs) Well, good morning, and um, it's great to be here, great to be able to share the Word of God with you. And we are going to be continuing with our series in Daniel called Kingdom Bringers, bringing the kingdom of God in a culture of compromise. And if you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've been following the story of God's people exiled to the foreign land of Babylon under the pagan superpower at that time. And we've been looking at how Daniel and his friends are inspiring examples for us of how we can still be kingdom bringers in a culture of compromise. This really powerful idea. And it's been good over the few weeks to consider consider a number of ideas such as we are in the world, but not of the world. And also that idea of identity theft that actually Jesus has called us to live an identity in him, but the world may pull us and take us into a different direction. And we looked at that um, interesting passage, didn't we, in Daniel, where the Babylonians renamed the Hebrew boys, but how they knew who they were. And then last week, we were challenged again with who will we worship? And so if you haven't caught up on them, then you can catch up online. And also, welcome to you guys online as well. Sorry, I should have said at the beginning, but good to have you with us as well. But today we're going to be focusing, I'm going to come to Daniel in a minute, we're going to be focusing on an issue that I believe we all must try and avoid. If we sense it coming into our lives, we need to be aware of it, deal with it, and lock it down. I'm not talking about COVID, that would have been a good guess. But I believe that this is something that if you don't think that this will cause chaos or destruction in your life, I will ask you gently to think again. If you think that this issue doesn't actually apply to you, then that's confirmation that it definitely does apply to you. So I'll put you out of your misery. Today, I'm going to be talking about pride. I'm going to be talking about pride. Before I say any more, I just want to be very clear about this. I am a learner today. I may be the preacher I may be delivering, but I understand I need to receive this as well. Because when it comes to the issue of pride, I acknowledge I have my own battle with it, as probably maybe some of us will acknowledge as well. So as I come to deliver something today, I want you to understand that I am learning and growing in this area. Just to introduce a little bit about pride. Now, some have argued that pride is the mother of all sins. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, said this. It will come up on the screen. According to Christian leaders, Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. So pride is a sin in itself. I want to acknowledge that. But the thing about pride is that it is also a gateway to many other sins. A gateway and an open door for the enemy to come in and say to us how great we are and how much we don't need God. That's what he does. And we see this, don't we, in Genesis 3. Really early on in the beginning, 
where Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden. There they are. And the enemy speaks to them and questions God's authority and says to them, the only reason that you don't need to eat that, that God doesn't want you to eat that fruit is basically you're going to be like him. You see, pride is that idea of saying, I need to elevate self. It tries to mix up the order. It says, actually, you can be like God if you want to. You don't need to listen to God. You can be like God if you want to. That's what the enemy will do. He'll try and sell us, sell us that lie. See, pride is all about elevating self. And if you're still not convinced that pride is a serious issue, let me read this verse. James 4, verse 6. It says in that verse, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Now, when I read this verse, and I've read it a few times this week, one thing that is very clear is day. God doesn't like pride. He really doesn't. In fact, that verse, the first part, God opposes the proud. That is a big warning for me. <laughs> I have enough opposition in my life. I've been through lots of different things in the years that I've lived on this earth. But to think that God might oppose me, that's frightening. Anyone else with me on that? Because I know how great my God is and now how powerful he is. I don't need that in my life. I need him on my side. I need his favor. So I want us to heed to this warning today that when it comes to pride, it is a serious issue. In Genesis 4, verse 6, we read about Cain before he killed his own brother Abel. And God warned him, saying that sin is crouching at your doorstep and desires to have you. Now, I know he's talking about sin in general. That's what I believe he's talking about. But pride, dare I say it, is like that beast which crouches, that wants to pounce on you and wants to rule over you. It wants to dictate all the decisions you make in your life and wants to have you. And so there's a challenge for us today to ask ourselves, will we confront the beast that is pride and will we heed to this warning? Or will we allow this anti-God state of mind to master us? You see, pride will seek to make you the king. This is important because whoever you make the king of your life, that's whose kingdom you will bring. If you make yourself the king, then you'll bring your own kingdom. But if you make God the king, you'll bring his kingdom, amen? And that's what he's called us to do. And so as we continue with our series, Kingdom Bringers, the title of this message today is, Who's the King? Who's the King? And if there's one story in the book of Daniel that captures a warning about pride, I think it's in Daniel chapter 4. Why don't you turn with me to Daniel chapter 4? And it's a bit of a random story in the middle of Daniel, if I'm being honest. It's like you read Daniel 1 to 3, and there's a lot going on. The Hebrew boys, the exiled guys are trying to stand out for God. And then chapter four, you get this really interesting story about King Nebuchadnezzar. It's like kind of like randomly thrown in there, but there's actually some powerful truths in there. So what I'm going to do, it's quite a big passage. I'm going to give a bit of an overview to the story, and then I'll break in with some actual verses from there as well. So King Nebuchadnezzar, who's a Babylonian king, a harsh pagan king, he has this dream. And in this dream, he sees this big, luscious, fruitful tree. Creatures are sheltered under it, under it, this great tree, big, huge. It covers the entire nation. And in that dream, suddenly the tree gets cut down. A messenger speaks and says, cut down the tree, and he gets cut down. And all that's left is the stump. Tree completely cut down. 
So King Nebuchadnezzar, he wakes up and he wants to know, what does that dream mean? So he asks his enchanters and his magicians to interpret the dream. They can't interpret the dream. Then he asks Daniel, the Hebrew boy, the one who is exiled, to interpret the dream for him. He knows the interpretation and he gives him the interpretation of the dream. Now, I just want to say a little word about Daniel here. I love his courage. King Nebuchadnezzar is a harsh king. He wouldn't think twice to killing someone if they said something that he didn't like. And what I love is his courage to keep standing out for God, to keep saying it as it is. And the reason why he has so much courage is because of this. Verse 22 of Daniel 4, he says this, Your Majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. What he's basically saying is you've become this superpower. You've become really great. Now, this is what's going to happen. We go now to Daniel 4, verse 25. You will be driven away from people and live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by you. Seven times will pass by for, by, will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. And Daniel's basically saying, look, King Nebuchadnezzar, this dream is a warning of what's about to come to your doorstep. Like, you need to listen. It isn't going to look good if you don't listen to what I'm saying. In fact, Daniel, if I remember it correctly, actually says to the king, look, you need to renounce your sins and your wickedness. You need to do that, and you need to help the oppressed. He's basically saying, you need to change your life because something is about to come. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, unfortunately for him, unfortunately, he doesn't listen to this warning. And so what happens is, is that we're told 12 months later, this happens. Daniel 4, verses 29 to 30. 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built? as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. And he has this moment, King Nebuchadnezzar, where he basically goes, ah, you know what? I just realized something. I'm kind of a big deal. You know what? You know, you know those, that those gardens, the hanging gar gardens of Babylon, the great wonder of the world? I did that. You know this palace, this beautiful thing you see here? You see all these trees, everything that you see? That's all me. I did it all. He starts to admire himself. He starts to take it all in. You know, often when I read of different Bible characters and I read of them and what they were like, I can't help it. But I sometimes think, I wonder what they would be like if they existed today. What would they be like? What would they be into? Things like that. And when I think of King Nebuchadnezzar, I think he'd be someone who would like silk pajamas. And he'd love Instagram. That he'd absolutely love it. You know, I can just imagine him like, getting on the royal palace, on the roof of his palace, and thinking, you know what? This is a moment for Instagram. Look at all I've built. And he takes a picture, I go, wow, hashtag, I love being king. You know? Let's get a selfie. Come on, come on, let's get a selfie with this in. Wait there, wait there. That's in there, isn't it? Yeah, the ducky lips. 
Sorry, my wife is cringing right now. <laughs> and you know, what happens after that moment? Well, basically, the prophecy is fulfilled. And for seven years, King Nebuchadnezzar goes basically crazy. He didn't listen to the warning. He goes into the fields. He's eating grass. He's basically lost his mind. And as I said, it's a bit of a random story in the middle of Daniel, isn't it? But what I think here, what I think we see, and what I think the Bible wants us to see here, is the effect of what can happen when we think more highly of ourselves, when we allow pride to rule us and to come into our lives. Basically, it brings chaos. You know, God had to bring down Nebuchadnezzar a little bit because he'd lost the proper order of things. Remember I said earlier, it's about mixing up the order where, where you believe that actually I can be like God or I can be as great as him maybe. He'd lost the order. And instead of seeing that God was the one above all kingdoms, he saw himself above it all. And in the culture we live in today, I believe pride is a real issue. I believe it's an issue in the culture we're in today. Pride is one of those words that we associate with self-confidence and strength of character. And, and, and I like some of those things. I'm not against those things. I'm, I'm all for developing ourselves and being strong and encouraging each other and being encouraged that we can do great things. I'm not against that. But the thing with pride is that actually it can make you think you are actually better than you actually are. It can actually skew your mentality in the way that you think. You see, Babylon isn't just a locality, it's also a mentality. It makes you think differently. It makes you think, maybe this is what King Nebuchadnezzar stood for, that I am so great in this kingdom and everyone worships me. And it makes us think that we can be, do more or be greater than we actually are. Now, God wants us to be great. We are valuable, but we can lose the order. Pride says, you can control your life and you can do whatever you want to do. You can be self-dependent. You can have this individualistic mindset. You know, I believe that individualism is a big thing in culture today. You do what you want to do and it's okay. Now, I'm all for, again, that self-empowerment, but I think we've lost it in some ways in culture today. And it affects us. You don't need a God to tell you what to do. That's so old-fashioned. Why would you listen to a God? Why would you put your trust in a holy book, an ancient book? You can write your own book. Some of them really bad ones as well. And if we want to be kingdom bringers, I believe we have to be aware of this church. And even as Christians, in some way, dare I say it, we can take this mentality of self-building our own life. Self-building our own life. And it can look a little bit something like, you know, I'll, I'll do it all how I want to do it. I'll live my life. I, I like God. I like God. I'll live my life how I want to do it. But God, when it all goes wrong, I'll call upon you. You know, oh, let me come up with the plan. Let me do what I want to do. Let me do it. But God, why don't you bless that? I've not brought it to you. I've not brought your agenda, but actually I'm bringing my agenda. I want to do what I want to do. That's how I want to live. You're not the great I am. I am. I want to do what I want to do. But if I have an emergency, I'm going to call you. I'll call you. I'll make, sure, I'll make sure that I bring you into that. It's this idea that we self-build our lives and we don't actually involve God in any of it. But we use him as a little bit of a tagline at the end. Oh yes, God, I'm doing it for you. I wanna do it for you. Lord, it's all for your glory and for your kingdom, but actually it's all for your glory and your kingdom. And instead of building my life on God's ways and his kingdom and his values, I live by my rules. 
And I might even change the rules that God has to suit me. I might say, actually, I know you said this, but maybe you meant this. Maybe, maybe, maybe I don't need to do it that way. Maybe I can do it this way. Maybe we've moved on a bit from that. Maybe I can do things how I want to do it. Maybe that's the better way. You know, this is pride. Thinking that we can change God or change his ways because we, we're special. We can do it. You know, two kings, having two kings in your life, it causes chaos. They'll be divided against each other. Jesus said it as well. And surely God is the king. God is the true king. And, and I say this to you today, and I was remember, as I was praying about this message this week, I was thinking, what do I want to say in response to this mentality? And I didn't really know what to say except, how dare we? <laughs> I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll come up with some profound answer. I just remember thinking, how dare we think we could be like God? You know, the only reason you're here today and I'm here today is because God chose us. Because he had a plan which came to fruition through his son, Jesus Christ. The only reason we're here is because we sang about it because he's the great I am. He is awesome. There is no one that compares to him. His ways are higher than our ways, but we think we can do better. How dare we think that way? Anyone with me today, church? I heard this really great quote, right? And it's just really simple, but really, really powerful as well. And it goes like this. You know, when we think that our ways are better, it goes, God has a universe and God does things his way. Now, you may have a better way, but you don't have a universe. It's so true. We think we can be like God, but actually, I don't think I can handle being like God. Now, let me share four quick points with you, which might help us recognize some of the traits of pride. And, you know, some of these may not be obvious straight away, but these hopefully will help us examine our heart. Because when it comes to pride, it's a heart issue, isn't it? It's about the heart. It's about where are we in our heart? Who's the king of our heart? And where is our heart? So four points. Firstly, pride seeks attention. Now, maybe it looks like boasting about ourselves. Maybe it's being haunted by your desire to have the right car or the right house or the right title at work, all because you seek the glory that comes from people and not God. You know, growing up in the UK as a, as a British Asian man, British Asian boy to a man, should I say? Um, you know, culture was interesting. I'm really thankful for the way I've been brought up. But one of the things that I know for me was a big thing was wanting to make sure that I made my family proud. Yeah, an Indian family background, which is a great family I have. I love them. But I knew I, wanted, I, knew I had to in some way. I felt a pressure to have to get a good career, to get a degree, to get some some title, to get a great career. And, you know, I had four choices growing up when I was young of what I could be. I could either be a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant, or a failure. Those were the choices. And, you know, when I told my family, look, I'm going to train to be a lawyer, oh, my goodness. They were so proud. And they were encouraging me, but they were so proud. They were like, oh, it's so great. I remember my grandma, she doesn't talk much English, but she knew how to say lawyer. She like, my mom was like, he's going to be a lawyer. She's like, lawyer, yeah, yeah, lawyer. We're speaking the same language right now. And, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was crazy. You know, I trained as a lawyer. And there were times, though, where, which was really tough. As I think back now, but at the time, it felt okay. And I, I probably encouraged it or wanted it. That, I have to say it as it is. This was before I was a Christian as well. I'll just say that. 
But there were times when my family would say, you know, look how good you turned out compared to the others. Look, look how great you look. And I'm just like, yeah, look how great I am. Look at me, look at me, look at me, golden boy. You know? And I share that with you because I have to acknowledge that I don't like looking back at that now and thinking that I actually encouraged it in some way. Now, I love my culture, but sometimes culture gets it wrong. It puts too much of a focus on things that are not as important as what God thinks is important. Now, yeah, title and being academic, I'm all for that. Improve yourself. You know, I've got a little boy. I'm going to encourage him to do his best that he can, but I'm also going to encourage him to serve Jesus. Now, actually, I want Jesus to be the dominant voice in his life. And, you know, I acknowledge today I'm still on a journey with this. I, I, I believe God is helping me and getting me more free from these things, but I'm still on a journey. Secondly, pride excludes others. You know, pride will pick the people that meet your standards to be in your life. The Pharisees did this, didn't they? They saw themselves as separate from others. No, they were like basically saying, no sinners near us, go away. You're unclean. We're special. See, pride prefers some people over others. It honors those who the world deems worthy of honor, giving more weight to their words, their wants, and their needs. We consciously or unconsciously pass over the weak, the inconvenient, and the unattractive because they don't seem to offer us much. See, pride will make strategic friendships or connections. And now I'm not saying that that's wrong in, in different settings. Sometimes you have to make strategic friendships or connections, but it's not good if you then do it to exclude others. See, pride will say, if only you can give me something really back, then I don't really want to need to be your friend. Because how are you going to help me, self? How are you going to help build me? But what about if we actually lived in a way where we said, I don't mind being friends with someone and I don't expect to receive anything back. I just want to be someone who is inclusive. But pride will exclude others. Thirdly, pride looks at the exterior. See, when pride lives in our hearts, we're far more concerned with other people's perceptions of us than the reality of our hearts. We fight the sins that have an impact on how others view us and we make peace with the ones that no one sees. It's gone quiet in the room a little bit. Oh Lord, help us. We have great success in the areas of holiness that have highly visible accountability, but little concern for the things that happen in secret. You know, if it looks like I'm doing the right things, it's all good. People can see me outwardly that I'm doing the right things, then that's all that matters. You know, Jesus called it out in the Pharisees, didn't he? He called them whitewashed tombs. He says, you look great on the outside, but internally you're dead. You're spiritually dead. It's a sign of their spiritual pride. Fourthly, if you can take another one, <laughs> pride finds faults. While pride causes us to ignore the evil in our own hearts, it then causes us to, to ignore the goodness in other people's hearts. We only see other people's faults, not our own. We're harsh with other people, but we're gentle with ourselves. We say, well, I did it because, I, you know, I'm special. You've got to understand for me, but when you do it, oh, I'm going to call it out in you. It's a posture that isn't teachable. I've said it before, there's a fine line between analytical and critical. You know, when I'm sitting in a sermon, it's pride that prompts me to skip the spiritual surgery on my own heart 
and think about the other people that really need it. Maybe you're doing it right now, I don't know. In which case, it's pride, stop it. (laughs) That's what it does. If that wasn't enough for you, here's a few more ideas about what pride might look like. If you constantly count how many likes you have on social media, maybe it's pride. If your security is in your wealth and your achievements and your possessions, well, maybe it's pride. If you're always defensive when someone tries to give you feedback, maybe it's pride. If you always feel that you have to say yes to things because you're the only answer, maybe it's pride. If you always have to win, you're a sore loser, maybe it's pride. Now, this is something that actually strikes with me a little bit. Again, from the culture I'm from, in Indian Punjabi culture, we are fiercely competitive. We want to win but we hate to lose. In fact, we hate to lose more than we want to win. <laughs> you know, we, a few years ago, we had to ban Monopoly from our house because there was just too much riding on it. We wouldn't talk to each other for a day because of what are the rules. And we can have a laugh about it and everything, but you know, there's something there if it keeps coming up. Why do I always have to win? Why do I always have to be the best? It's always good to win, but why do I always have to? So how can we deal with pride? Well, King Nebuchadnezzar, he found out the hard way. Eventually, he realized that God was the most high, and he acknowledged him as sovereign, but he found out in a way which was really, really tough. But in order for us to get there ourselves, we need a kingdom mindset, church. If you're here today and you know pride is ruling in your life, you might need a reset to the kingdom mindset, and that's called humility. See, if pride is the vice then humility is the virtue. That's what you need to remember. If pride is the vice, then humility is the virtue. And we learn to be humble through another king, the servant king, Jesus. We learn humility through him. If King Nebuchadnezzar shows us what pride looks like, he shows us what humility looks like. King Jesus. I'm going to read verses 2 to... uh, Chapter 2, verses 1 to 11 in Philippians here. You know, I'm not going to give too much explanation for them because sometimes it's just good to hear the word. It just speaks for itself. He doesn't need too much from myself. I'm just going to read it for us. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, everyone say therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
just need to be like the servant king. But it is difficult. You see, pride will stop us from bringing God's kingdom. And I said earlier that pride can be a gateway to many sins. Well, humility, I believe, is a gateway to the kingdom. Matthew 5, verse 3, Jesus said in the Beatitudes, didn't he? He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit means those that come humbly, those that come humbly before him. Those are the ones that are blessed. And those are the ones that will have access to the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus has modeled for us how we can live without pride through the empowering of his spirit, church, even though I've gone through what pride can do to you or what can do to us, there's an encouragement today that through Jesus, we can master it. It doesn't have to master us or rule over us, but he's shown us the way. But it involves humbling ourselves, church. God desires us to humble ourselves. He'd rather us do that. He doesn't want to humble us. He'd rather us humble ourselves. James 4 verse 10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. See, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. It's thinking of yourself less. How can we practically outwork that then? Well, three more things from me, and then we'll, we'll come to a response. Kingdom bringers value others above themselves. You know, I said earlier that the order of things is that pride tries to make you above or next to God. Well, well, humility works the other way. It actually says, no, 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 value others above you. It goes completely in the other, in the other direction. It's an up, that upside down kingdom where actually it's the ones that serve, the ones that are willing to lay down their lives for others or to, to be there for others. Though That's the most valuable thing. It's a different way of living. It's completely different from what we would know even in the world. It doesn't look to elevate self. Humility will gladly serve others. And we remember that we've not come to be served, but we come to serve. Valuing others means that we don't always need to win, but we can celebrate when others win, when they do well. I don't need all the attention. And also to value others means to include others regardless of what they may be able to offer. And humility understands as well that we must forgive. That it's important for us to forgive. We don't need to hold on to those things. Secondly, kingdom bringers have contrite hearts. There's no room for conceit, for conceit, but only a contrite heart before God. You know, when we have repentant hearts, we see that actually we can't judge or find faults with others because we have so much more to work on ourselves. It doesn't look to judge, it looks to say, you know what, who am I to judge? Because I'm not perfect. Jonathan Edwards, the great revivalist, he said this, the eminently humble Christian has so much to do at home and sees so much evil in his own that he is not apt to be very busy with other hearts. And finally, thirdly, kingdom bringers pray. See, humility understands, and I'll invite the band up now, please. Thank you. Humility understands that actually it's not about my agenda, but I humble myself and I pray because I want to see God's kingdom come. That's why it says, pray, God's kingdom come, your will be done. We're not looking for our own agenda or our own will. We're looking for God's. 
And when we pray, we humble ourselves before God and say, Lord, I'm dependent upon you. Actually, I don't want my kingdom to come. I want your kingdom to come because you're the king. You're the one who's on the throne. I'm not the one on the throne. So we pray. It's a sign and a position to come before God. Again, similar, with a contrite heart to say, God, there's no room for boasting. All I can do is pray. All I can do is pray to you, who is the great I am. And as we think about responding today, I'm simply just going to ask you where you are to examine your heart. Examine your own heart before God right now. If pride is in your life, if maybe something in this preach has triggered you in some way, then just to bring it before the Lord. You might want to bow. Some people are bowing even now. You might want to come and say, Lord, I bow to you. You might need to dethrone yourself today. Abdicate and say, Lord, take your rightful place because I've allowed pride to rule in my life. I'm thinking of myself more highly than I ought. And the question of who's the king, it's a challenging one. And as I was preparing for today, there's a picture that I got from Revelation 4, which is one of the elders, they were worshiping and bowing down to God. And then it says this, it says that they cast down their crowns before him. Some of us might need to just cast down our crowns before God today. Just to say, Lord, I'm no longer the king or the queen. You're the king. And in a moment, we're going to worship. And again, I encourage you to do what you need to do. And let me pray. Lord God, I thank you that when we come to you, Lord, when we come to you, Jesus, all we see is the humble king, the king that came to die for us, but who reigns as well now, Lord. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you, God, you reign. That when it comes to who's the king, Lord, there is no one but you. When it comes to the issue of pride, Lord, there's no room for boasting, but all we can do is boast of you. And I pray today, Lord, as we come to respond today, Lord, where, where pride has been a beast or something in us that we've allowed to run riot and rule us, Lord, we say today in the name of Jesus, no more. And we exalt you, King Jesus, and we say, Lord, would you reign? Lord, would you help us to humble ourselves before you? Lord, that we would acknowledge today you're the king, that you're the one that we want to live for. You're the agenda that we're living for today, God, and that your ways are higher than our ways. And so we come today, Lord, and we, we bow our hearts to you. We bow our life to you, Lord, and we say, Lord, rid us of pride. Help us to be your humble servants. Help us to not build self, but build your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.